Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be with me this morning as I open your word to your people. Lord, I pray that you would work on my heart, that you would bring it in conformity to your will, that the words that I speak would be your words. And God, I pray that you would work on the hearts of the people here, that you would transform them so that the words that they hear would be your words. Lord, I pray that together that we would hear and understand your word. God, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we could test and approve your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. God, we ask these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. It is very hard to work for a boss that you don't respect. We talked about that last week. And I want to kind of expand on it a little bit because I have in my life not done a great job of being a supporting subordinate. In some cases, I've been an undermining subordinate. When I was in the Marine Corps, um, I spent a long period of time as a platoon commander, and then I got promoted, and I became the executive officer of, a, of an infantry company. And for the first six months, we didn't have a company commander, so it was me. And, and that was some of my best times in the Marine Corps. I got to plan everything. I got to make all the decisions. I got to do what I wanted to do. we just gotten back from Iraq, so I had all these cool ideas. I was very salty. I was a very salty 24-year-old. I knew lots of things. It's very world-weary, you know? I was very, uh, very cool. A hardened veteran, I thought myself. And I was leading this group of men well, and then... My boss came in, and we clashed. I was a combat veteran. He was not. I was young. He was old. Um, he had been enlisted. I wasn't. And we didn't connect. And I wish that I could tell you that I, was, that I learned the art of submission, did a great job honoring God, by my behavior, but I didn't. I talked bad about him behind his back. I undermined him. And in turn, he made my life miserable. One of the reasons that I left the Marine Corps was because I had such a bad experience there. Because I was not a good subordinate. It is hard to live with and serve somebody that you don't respect. We've learned about what that looks like when we don't respect our government. And we learned what that looks like when we don't res respect our bosses. And now this morning, Peter is going to make it even more personal as we look at what it means to live with and respect and submit to 
a husband that you don't respect. We're going to look at what it means to live well when marriage is hard. Peter's going to open this section of Scripture with a conjunction. And again, I'm not an English person, but he begins with likewise, which is a way, it's one of those words that we see in the Bible, and when we come across that kind of word, we want to look to everything that came before, right? So this is Peter's way of saying everything that I'm about to say is affected by and within the context of everything that I just said. So what did he say? Let's go back a little bit. Chapter 3 begins with this connection to chapter 2. So let's review chapter 2 a little bit. Chapter 2, Peter is calling on the church, a group that he's calling exiles and aliens, people that are not of the culture that they're living in, people that have been called out and are living a separate life. He's saying, you who are aliens and sojourners living among these pagans, live well in a world that's dying and glorify God by doing it. He's telling them that they need to glorify God through their actions and in the way that they relate to the people around them. And then he begins to lay out what that looks like. The first thing he says is, you need to tame your passions. You need to get your emotions and your passions under control. Because let's be real, you can't glorify God if your passions look like the passions of the people around you. If you are driven by pride and arrogance and a desire to dominate, well, you're going to look like everybody around you. You're going to interact with the world the way the world interacts with you. And people will not see God in that. Or if they do, He's not going to look like the God that we have. So he's saying you need to master your passions. And then he says that they need to submit to all earthly authority, to emperors and governors and mayors. And yes, that annoying lady who runs your neighborhood association. Yeah, her too. And then he talks about jobs and how... Servants are supposed to submit to their masters. We looked at how all of us in some way serve somebody. And so you have over and over again Peter describing these relationships of power imbalance and how the person that is in the lesser place of power should glorify God through submission to authority. This morning... It's going to get even more personal. So what we need to understand is that we glorify God by the way that we conduct ourselves in every level of society. You, you never are off as a Christian. There's no personal space as a Christian, no place where you get to just kind of be your old nasty self as a Christian. You don't get, don't get to like carve out a little place where you're like, I'm going to be a Christian out here, but then when I come back here, this is where I'm going to let my nasty self be. I, I get to be carnal and real here in my safe place. Je- Jesus had a word for people like that. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. 
Something that's beautiful on the outside, and on the inside it's filled with bones and decay. And for many people, we have beautiful outsides. And then when you go into our homes, they are filled with bitterness and anger, pain and abuse. And I just want you to hear me when I say this. There can be nothing that denigrates God more than when somebody who claims to be a Christian goes home and abuses their spouse. There is no private personal space for Christians. We are on all the time. You are representing Christ all the time. So what should that look like? Well, Peter begins to tell us. We reflect the goodness and the glory of God in every aspect of our social interactions, and no social interaction is more important than our interaction with our spouses. And so Peter begins to address this and begins to pull this out. He begins by telling wives to submit themselves to their husbands. And before you start lighting torches and looking for a place to string me up, let's talk about this a little bit. Okay, I want to take a minute here and I want to ask ladies, please be patient with me. Extend me some grace. We're going to talk about some things that are probably going to make you uncomfortable and maybe angry. Okay? See, submission is a hard concept, especially in our culture of radical sexual equality. In fact, me talking about this and the fact that we're putting it out on Facebook ensures that I will never be able to run for any public office. Ever. Probably can't get a job in any kind of public sector employment. So you guys can't fire me because I have no place to go. Okay? So with that being said, let's get into this. Submission is a hard concept for us to understand, but it's something that we see over and over and over again in Scripture. And to understand this, we need to understand what marriage is and what it's not. See, for Christians, marriage is an act of worship before it is anything else. Marriage provides the opportunity to worship God by imitating His divine attributes. So every time we come together and we do worship, what we're doing is reflecting back to God aspects of who He is. That's what worship is. Okay, It's what we've been called to do. And we worship God not just with singing. We worship God throughout church, right? We worship God as you guys are listening to the the sermon diligently and well, not falling asleep or letting your mind drift or writing nasty things on the prayer cards. You know who you are. You're worshiping God. You're worshiping God when we pass the plate around and you're giving, right? Sacrificially, that's an act of worship. After the service, we're going to go down to the bridge. We're going to worship God by feeding the homeless. But we worship God also when we're at work. 
And we worship God when we're with our families. Everything that we do to bring glory to God and to remind people around us of who He is, is an act of worship. And so marriage provides this opportunity to worship God. It's not the celebration of sex, of love, or a way to to sanctify and protect children. Now, it does all of those things. But they are all the result of obedience to God, not the goal of the institution. Marriage at its most fundamental is a way that we glorify God by mirroring some of His nature. And so it is an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. So what is the heavenly reality that marriage is supposed to reflect? Well, we serve a God who lives in community. Think about that for a second. Our God is a trinity, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit isn't the Father, and yet they're all God. If you don't understand that, it's okay. Nobody does. It's a mystery. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. And that Godhead is in perpetual Union with itself, submitting one each to the other. Each of the elements of the Trinity, each of the people of the Trinity has a role. And those roles are not the same. And so, even though Jesus is the Son of God, even though He was present at the creation of the universe, even though He is in the same nature and equal with God, He submits to the will of the Father. And his submission to the Father doesn't make him less than fully God. We get that? Now listen to me. When we live together in marriage, God has ordained gender roles, right? He made us male and female, and that's okay. You don't have to go to Target and buy a bathing suit that allows you to change that. He made us male and female, and it's okay. And it's okay that we're different. Men are not women. That doesn't mean that women are less than men. It means that women are different from men. And any man who has been married for any amount of... Don't nod your head like you know. You don't know yet. Anytime you've been married for any amount of time, you think you know. You get married, you're going to find out. They don't think the same way that you think. Doesn't make them crazy, just makes them different. And so many times the challenges that we have in marriages are because we're not thinking the same way. My wife looks at problems from a completely different way than I do. I can look in the pantry for 20 minutes and not see something that is right in front of me. In the same way, I also have a creative way of putting things away. There's no telling where you're going to find the barbecue sauce or the milk. We're different. We are created differently. 
My wife is a lovely person. I am far stronger than her. If we get into a knife fight, you don't want her to be the one who's doing the knife fighting. And that's okay. God has placed us together so that we complement one another. We call this complementarianism. That's a big, long word. It simply means we are different, but equally made in the image of God. Okay? That is how marriages are supposed to work. A man and a woman come together, and they are stronger together than they are apart. The, the sum is greater than the parts. And so God gave us marriage, and He gets to tell us how we're supposed to reflect Him. According to Ephesians, the husband is the head of the family as Christ is the head of the church. That's mean, this means that husbands have the responsibility for their families. They are responsible before God for what happens in their families. I want you to listen to me, guys. You are responsible for your families, whether you're leading them or not. If you are a weak and passive man who will not lead his family, who leaves it all on your wife, there's going to come a day when you stand before God. And my wife was just smarter is not the excuse. Because most of our wives are smarter. Husbands have been appointed by God to lead their family spiritually. And they will be held accountable whether they do it or not. One of the ways that we can understand what this looks like because it gets so twisted and broken in the culture we live in. The culture that we live in does not have a category for good, godly male leadership. The, the categories that we have are the alpha male, which is a joke, the toxic masculine alpha male, or the passive man that has everything run by his wife. Both of those are broken. And, and let's be real here. Both of those images, the alpha male and the passive male, both of them end up with a family destroyed. The alpha male will ultimately become abusive. He will ultimately abuse the power that he has. And the passive male will allow his family to be abused by the people around him. And yet somehow the passive male has become kind of the image and the poster child for the world that we live in. And you know what it results in? It results in a great situation for men. It means that not only now do women have to do most of the work outside of the home, they have to do most of the work in the home. Over and over again, when you hear these reports that women are giving and why they're fed up with their marriage, it's like, I have to work. 40 hours a week, and then when I get home, my husband doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to take any initiative. He doesn't want to lead the family. He just wants to sit in the den and play video games or watch sports. That man has abrogated his role. But rather than looking at submission as the man ordering everyone around, it's better to look at this in terms of initiative. Leadership within the home should look like a man taking initiative to lead his family. 
I call it the let's test. Who is the person that says, let's do this or let's do that? Let's have chicken for dinner. Let's go for a walk. Let's get out our Bibles and pray as a family. It's not ordering, but it is setting the tone and it is setting the direction. See, submission in marriage as the, is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help him carry it through Christ. So let's, let's take a look at this for a second and see what it's not. Submission to authority, submission to your husband does not mean that you are your husband's slave, ladies, or his servant, or that you're somehow less important than him. It simply means that God created you with a special role in mind to be his helper and his partner and his friend. And there is no compulsion in this. So this is one of the interesting things that we need to see in Scripture is that at no point does Scripture ever give the man the ability to compel submission. It doesn't say, men, go subjugate your wife and be an awesome alpha man. No. It's up to you to live your life and lead your family in such a way that the women in your life submit. And guys, I'm going to tell you this. If you lead your family well, your wives will want to submit. Because deep down inside, your wife wants you to take the lead. She's tired of carrying the burden. She's tired of being the one that gets you up to go to church on Sunday. She's tired of being the one that initiates prayer. She's tired of it. She wants you to step up. See, God intends you to be the leader in your family. And ladies, I want you to encourage them to do so. Encourage them to take on the responsibility of manhood. Don't tear them down. In this way, you will emulate Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant and being made human, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And while the Bible talks in many places and in many ways about submission within marriage, in this particular place, submission has a very important role. This passage moves in a different direction because it seems to be talking to women who are in a very difficult situation. He's talking to women who are married to unbelieving men. It says, so even if some do not obey the word, and, and when he says do not obey the word, he's referring to someone who is not saved. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. See, Peter is encouraging women to influence their husbands through submission even when the man does not deserve it. It's hard enough for a woman to submit to the leadership of her husband when he's a good guy. And Peter is calling, him, calling her to submit to the leadership of their husband when her husband doesn't know Christ or isn't walking with him. 
So how should she do this? What Peter is saying here is, ladies, if you are married to an unbelieving man, if you are married to a man who is not walking with Christ, the answer is not to nag him incessantly to follow Christ. Because it doesn't work. Almost without fail, no man has ever been nagged into being a better dude. I know you think it works, but it doesn't work. No man has been guilted into being a better man. In fact, the more that you do that, the more you will drive him away from you. And so what is Peter calling on these women to do? Saying, you work on you. You change you. You work on your relationship with Christ. You ensure that your conduct is Christ-like and God-honoring and above reproach. And through that God-honoring, Christ-centered, grace-filled life, your husband will see the gospel in you. And he uses this really interesting imagery when he describes it. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing. He's saying, don't care about the way that you appear. Care about the quality of your character. Adorn yourself with the quality of your character, not with good looks. Let let the people around you see your gentleness and your kindness, and your gracefulness, and your forgiving nature. Be slow to anger, and slow to speak, and quick to listen, quick to forgive, and slow to blame. Peter wants Christian women to win their unbelieving husbands through the quality of their character. They should look, sound, and act differently than the world around them. And I know that generations of Lifetime movies have told us that this doesn't work. But I can tell you of countless numbers of my friends who were led to Christ by their believing wives. So much so that it's kind of a, it's kind of a cliché. I see them on Facebook, and I know guys, and I knew them when they were in college, and these guys were raving pagans when they were in college, just just wild men. And they found somehow good Christian women that had agreed to date and then marry them. And these are good men now. Men who love Jesus and, and serve Jesus and, and are growing closer to Him. There is power. There is power in a woman adorned with gentleness and gracefulness and peace. But understand this. At no time is Peter calling on women to exhibit total submission. Peter wants them to understand that their submission is not total. He tells them, you are her children, speaking about 
Sarah and some of these other women that have come along, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, as with all other relationships, the subject to emperor and slave to master, nobody has a claim on your soul but God. And so there are things where you are not going to submit to your husband. There are things that you can't follow him in. You should respect and submit, but there are things that you should not do. And so Peter wants godly women to glorify God by living well, even when their husbands are difficult. But they should never follow their their husbands into sin. They should never follow their husbands into things that do not honor God. So what does this look like? How does it look for a woman to honor and respect a man who is less than perfect? The first thing that has to be said is, ladies, don't marry an unbeliever. There are rules in Scripture that are there to protect you. And Scripture is very clear. Do not be differently yoked. So that doesn't mean, that means that no matter how good he looks in a swimsuit or how much money he makes or how nice to you he is, if he does not know Jesus, don't marry him. Because your life is going to be hard. Loving an unbelieving husband is a difficult, long, and complicated road. But here's the deal. We sin and we make mistakes. And so if your husband is an unbeliever, stay with him. And allow your, your actions to evangelize. Show him what it means to be a Christian by admitting when you're wrong and forgiving him when he's wrong. Pray for him. Now what does this not mean? It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything he does. You won't. It doesn't mean that you check your brain at the altar. It doesn't mean that you put the will of your husband over the will of Christ. It doesn't mean that you submit to physical, mental, or sexual abuse. None of those things are submission. There are limits to what this man can do. Don't follow him into sin. Don't submit to apostasy. If he says, we're not going to go to that church because I don't believe that. Instead, we're going to go follow Baal. You can tell him to go fly a kite in a gently, nice, and easy way. If he gets frustrated with you and cheats on you, you can leave him. But if he stays, if he remains faithful, you have the entire rest of your life together to evangelize to him. Gentlemen, we don't get off either. Peter concludes this section by addressing men and helping them understand their responsibilities as Christians and as husbands. He says, husbands, honor your wives and care for them. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this passage deals mostly with women because it's trying to show us how to glorify God where there are power imbalances. 
But Peter takes a moment to exhort men in the way that they're supposed to treat their wives. Wives should submit to their husbands, but men should lead their families well and honor their wives. Brothers, listen to me. The burden is on you. See, women are supposed to submit to men, but men are supposed to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. Let's stop and look at that for a second. How did Christ love the church? Oh, he died for her. That means that there is not anything that is too much for you to give in your marriage. All the time. You don't get your own stuff. You don't get your own time. I don't want to hear, oh, I just need some time for me. I just need some me time. I need some time by myself. It's very hard to be a man. You don't get it. Here's another one. I've worked really hard, and so I deserve time when I get home. She should just take care of the kids. Brother, those are your kids. Pick that baby up and wipe that diaper. I don't want to hear about guys who don't change diapers. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't change diapers. It's nasty. You get in there. You should do it more than your wife. I changed every diaper we had on a plane. Doesn't matter how nasty it is. You give everything you have to your family. You don't hold anything back. It means if you have hobbies that take away from your family, you don't get those hobbies anymore. You give everything that you have to your family. You respect your wives as the weaker vessel. Now let's look at what that means too. This does not mean that women are dumber than men. It does not mean that they are more prone to sin than men. It doesn't mean that they're intellectually inferior or or that they are somehow weaker emotionally than men. What it means is that they are physically weaker than you. You better not put your hands on them. That woman has been given to you for you to protect You know how we know that gender identity, that gender roles are real? In Ukraine, when the Russians came across the border, the women went one way and the men went the other. Your job is to fight and die for your family. Physically, emotionally, every day of your life. And guys, there is nobility in that. In fact, so many of the problems that we have with our men today, so, many, so much of the depression that we have, so much of the, the hopelessness that we have among our men is because somehow they've got the idea that their job is not to die for their families. Listen, there is nobility in picking up a burden and carrying it for your family. It is not a wasted life to spend your entire life working to provide for your family. That is a life lived well. There's a reason why a young man who gets married ends up making more money than a man who doesn't. There's a reason that he has a better, fuller, happier life than a man who doesn't. Because a little bit of weight focuses a man. It puts him on the right track. So gentlemen, do not run away from the responsibility of family There is joy and meaning in that. 
You are responsible to care for your wives. Listen to me. There's going to be times when marriage is not fun and you don't get to run away from it. Loving the weaker vessel means that you need to care for her when she's pregnant. Oh, but, but, but we haven't made love in eight months because she's pregnant. I don't care. You deal with it. You deal with it. Oh, well, she's got postpartum depression and she's crazy right now. You deal with it. That's your job. It's what you do. See, men should glorify God by respecting and honoring their wives, even when they're difficult. And understand this, the spiritual life of a man will be affected by the way they treat their wife. You cannot come into this church and pretend to be a holy man and go home and abuse your wife. What does scripture say? Let's read that. Respect your wife since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What is he saying? He's saying if you don't respect your wife at home, God is not going to listen to your prayers. You are not going to have communion with God if you are at home abusing your family or neglecting your family. Glorify God by respecting and honoring your wives, even when they're difficult. Understand this, guys. Submission does not mean that you're the boss or that you wear the pants. It doesn't mean that your wife is required by God to rub your feet and bring you beers while you watch TV. I mean, that's a good thing, but, you know, she doesn't have to. Leadership in the kingdom of God comes through service. And so you need to love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. And you need to lead her the way that Christ led the church. And both of these come through death. Every day when you wake up, God is giving you a new opportunity to die to your own preferences, your own desires. As you place your wife's need above your own and you love her with everything you have. You need to love your wife more than your job, more than your parents, more than your car or your hobbies or your free time. You need to love her when she is lovable and you need to love her when she is difficult. You need to love her when she is skinny and hot and you need to love her when she is older and not. You need to love her more than you love yourself and you need to stand ready to lay, lay down your life for her. That is what a man does. So Peter wants his readers to glorify God in and through their marital relationships, even when they're hard and complicated. Brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen world. And the fallenness of the world has crept into the relationships that we have in our families. And we are called to glorify God even when those personal relationships are racked by pain and misunderstanding. We are called to love our wives and husbands sacrificially the way that God loved us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christians need to live well even when marriage is hard. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in a hard marriage, 
I want you to know this. My God is bigger than the problems that you have. He is big enough to fix the issues that are there. I think sometimes when, when we find ourselves in a difficult place, in a difficult marriage with a difficult spouse, so often we sit there and we, we think that this is the, the only way it's ever going to be, that it's never going to change. But I need you to understand that there's, there is power in Christ. There is redemptive power in conversion when the heart gets changed and the Holy Spirit comes in and fixes what's broken. God glorifies himself by taking broken marriages and fixing them. And guys, I have seen it happen. I have seen God take, and take broken people and make them new. I've seen him take lost men and save them through believing wives. I have seen him restore. Have faith and hold on. You hold on. Persevere. Pray to God for faithfulness and perseverance. And if you have a good marriage, I want you to take some time to mentor younger couples. It's not enough for you to just sit there and kind of nudge your spouse and be like, oh, it used to be us, but it's not us anymore. Praise God. No, no. If you have a good marriage now, you need to use that. You need to come alongside another couple. Maybe somebody who's having problems. You're like, oh, I don't want to get involved in somebody else's business. Tough. You're in the church. That's what it means. You, you don't have any private space, right? It means you, it's going to get, and it'll get messy. You start living, doing life with somebody, it's going to get messy. It's going to get real messy. That's okay. Because Jesus is in the mess. He, he's in the rough and tumble of broken people doing broken stuff to each other. And if you do, God, if you will take some time to spend some time in another person's life and pour into their marriage, you will get to see some amazing things happen. And if they don't, if you find yourself in a place of brokenness right now because your marriage fell apart, I want you to know that God is still there with you. There is no relationship so broken that God cannot come in and heal you. I wish that I could tell you that every marriage gets fixed and every family finds peace, but sometimes they don't. And God is present there too. And as a church, guys, we have to make space for people whose lives have fallen apart that way. We need to be a place where, where broken people from broken places can come, where we can wrap the arms of Christ around them and say, we're here with you. Christ's burden is easy and his yoke is light. And there is health and redemption and healing for all. So whether your marriage is strong or your marriage is broken or your marriage is non-existent, there is a place at the foot of the cross for you and there is healing and hope and redemption for you. And all of it begins when you make the decision to follow Christ. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you're coming here today and your marriage is destroyed, and your life is broken, and you're having a hard time, and you don't know where to go, I want to extend to you the only help that we have. And that is the redeeming hand of God. 
That is Christ moving in your life. If you have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now. We're going to have some folks that are going to come up here. Tony, if you'd come up here. Chris, why don't you come up? Shannon, if you'd come up here. We're going to have some men. We're going to have some women. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I, I want you to come up and we'll tell you what that looks like. We will pray with you and show you how you can accept Him. But it doesn't just have to be that. If your marriage is struggling right now and, and you don't know where to turn, the front of the church is open here. We want to pray over you. We want to pray for you. We want to offer this as a safe place for you to come to be healed. Maybe you're not having marital problems right now. Maybe you're just having life problems. A lot of us have life problems. Come forward and we'll pray over you. I don't know where you are right now. But this church stands ready right now to pray with you and for you and over you.